This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. It's our considered opinion that ideally Radio Parallax would not be yours truly yakking into a microphone, <laughs> although we don't mind doing that, and, and, and I, I think we do it reasonably well. But in today's program, we're going to bring to you some of our favored um, previous guests, Dr. Andy Jones, a perennial hit with, uh, with listeners, and the public affairs host, I think it's fair to say this program has been best affiliated with uh, over, the, over the years. And also James Diogenio, investigative journalist, will be joining us in the second half of today's program to take a look back at the late, great Robert Perry, who passed away last week. And while he's at it, talk a little bit about this new movie, The Post. We quoted from Jim on the program uh, at some length in recent weeks, but uh, why not hear it from the horse's mouth? We do hope that uh, you caught the eclipse of the moon, which took place on January 31st. There's a lot of hype about it being a supermoon, which means it's a brighter-than-average full moon, which is, which is something true, and a lot of hype about it being a blue moon, which we think is just a lot of hype. There is this expression, once in a blue moon, and I, I'm not sure whether it really ever meant the second full moon in a given month. Um, every year, there are 13 full moons. There's only 12 months in a year, so at least once a year, one of the months gets a second full moon. So blue moons happen on a regular basis by that definition. Whatever you want to call it, it made an interesting spectacle in the sky. Uh, I did note with some amusement uh, that a, um, a person I know posted on Facebook that it was going to be very cool from an astrological standpoint, this eclipse, because it would be uh, a lunar eclipse in Leo. And that, of course, was her sign of the zodiac. And Radio Parallax um, does not profess to know astrologically what it means to have a lunar eclipse in Leo. But I can tell you this, when I went out to take a look at the lunar eclipse, I noticed that it was in Cancer, which is one constellation removed from Leo. And when it comes to having a full moon eclipse in Cancer, I, I, I can tell you what that means, which is to say, not a damn thing. You know, we've bagged on astrology many, many times in this program over the years for for good reason, and I must say that no one's ever voiced uh, an objection to that, because I think if you're a believer in astrology, chances are you're not listening to this program. I do want to do a slight addendum to our mention on last week's program, the passing of Hugh Masekela, the trumpeter and songwriter best known to American audiences for that, uh, that great hit he had, uh, Grazing in the Grass, 50-odd years ago. But I, I think we, we, we neglected to mention that Mr. Masekela was also a, a great fighter of the apartheid system in South Africa. This earned him, uh, well, some trouble with his, with his own government. Uh, he had to live overseas for a while on account of it. And his records were, in fact, banned in South Africa for, for quite some time. So I, I think that it, uh, it, we should have mentioned that on, on last week's show, and, I, and I'm glad to do so today. He was not just a musician, he was also a fighter for civil rights. Someone who, we're sad to say, is not necessarily a fighter for civil rights would be Donald Trump, who may have set a record recently, uh, and of course he does tend to communicate with the public via tweets, 
In one single 47-word tweet last week, Donald Trump managed to cram in four things that were not true. The tweet in its entirety was, This memo totally vindicates Trump in probe, but the Russian witch hunt goes on and on. There was no collusion and there was no obstruction. The word now used because after one year of looking endlessly and finding nothing, collusion is dead. This is an American disgrace. So yes, if you're keeping score, it was wrong, in fact, to say this memo totally vindicates quote-unquote Trump. Two, that it is in fact a Russian witch hunt that is going on and on. After all, witch hunts are specious investigations driven by preconceived notions that wind up not being borne out. That will probably be far from the case in this particular investigation. Falsehood number three, there was no collusion and there was no obstruction. Well, it seems pretty clear at this point that there was at least some of both, although we're not going to rush to conclusions. But it is fair to say that the fourth falsehood is that after one year of looking endlessly and finding nothing, collusion is dead. Well, not so fast. Let's see what Mr. Mueller and others have to say when this investigation runs its course. And we can't resist quoting from our good pal Will Durst, commenting about uh, Trump's recent State of the Union address. Said Will, during the State of the Union, President Donald J. Trump said many hopeful things, including that he wants to work with Democrats. Said Will, yeah, right. He wants to work with Democrats the same way a five-year-old with a magnifying glass wants to work with ants. And we've got a lot to talk about with our friends Dr. Andy and, uh, and Jim Eugenio. so I think we're just going to jump here to our perennial favorite, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we feel that no show Radio Parallax is complete if we leave that out completely. We would therefore note that according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for jury duty after extradited drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman challenged a prosecution motion to keep jurors in his upcoming New York City trial anonymous on the grounds that he has no plans to order any of them killed. It was, on the other hand, a bad week a couple weeks back for civil defense with the news that David Ige, Hawaii's governor, had to confess that he was unable to correct his state's erroneous warning of an imminent missile attack for a good 17 minutes because he'd forgotten his Twitter password. And it was an ugly week a few weeks back for level playing fields, we'd have to say, when it turned out that 12 four-legged contestants were disqualified from a camel beauty contest being held in Saudi Arabia because... They used Botox. And yes, we're as astonished by this as you are, but a camel camel breeder apparently explained to someone in the news that Botox is used to exaggerate the camel's lips, nose, and jaw so that judges say, oh, look how big that head is. And no, we, we were unaware of the fact that a large head will give you a leg up, as it were, in a camel beauty contest, but, you know... Now you know the rest of the story. (laughs) It has long been said here on Radio Parallax that we have no better friend in radio than Dr. Andy Jones, who brings you every week on KDVS his excellent program, Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. And uh, he's a busy guy, and he's busier of late, we note, because he's been writing a book. 
And by God, we need to have him talk about it. So it's our pleasure to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Dr. Andy Jones. Hello, Dr. Doug. It's great <laughs> to be back on your radio show. Thanks for the invitation. We are happy to have you, sir. I'm holding in my right hand a, a book of pub quizzes, Trivia for Smart People, the subheadline is, written by you with over a thousand questions. Please tell us a bit about this. It is my new book. You know, many listeners of this radio show, but not my radio show, I should quickly <laughs> add, know that one of my many hats is that of Quizmaster, something I've been doing for 10 years now. And for the last, oh, say, six of those years, it's been at DeVere's Irish Pub right there at 217 E Street in the city of Davis, <laughs> and then also at a number of uh, fundraisers around town and elsewhere. And so people have been saying, you know, Dr. Andy, I've just moved away from Davis. I missed the pub quiz. What can I do? <laughs> so I finally wrote a book for such people. Over 33 quizzes, a thousand questions in there, wry commentary in the answers, an introduction by me and a preface by Professor David Wattenpah of the Religious Studies Department here at University of California at Davis. Well, what this means is someone in Hong Kong conceivably could still enjoy a pub quiz with, with basically you still as the host. Absolutely. You know, I, I think the next step, now that it's up on Kindle, on Amazon, and that Paperback copies are available at bookstores around the Sacramento Valley. The next step is really to create an audiobook and to go full quiz master, turn it up to 11, and <laughs> deafen people across the ocean in China, across the ocean in Australia, and especially in the British Isles, where they actually know what pub quizzes are. Well, given your penchant for a mixture of... Uh, of, of, of Literature and, and technology, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before people around the world will be able to enjoy this, and uh, I look forward to that myself. Excellent. You have all these different categories here, and I guess first question is, do you, do you, how, do you, how do you pick one? You've got various themes on each, each individual um, quiz. The theme is determined by the five questions that start the second half of the quiz, and those I come up with every week. So, for instance, on uh, my most recent pub quiz, it was five questions about things that Ron Howard is talking about now. <laughs> now, many people are paying attention to Ron Howard because he's uh, coming out with a movie this May called Solo, a Star Wars movie, or a Star Wars story. And so I oh, thought, Ron well, Howard's the, doing that? Ron Howard is the director of I'll the new Han Solo film. If you had attended my most recent pub quiz, you would know such an important fact. Anyway. Well, I have been remiss. Although I do want to uh, note for our, our listening audience that I have, uh, on many occasions, uh, attended one of these events with you hosting it. And uh, I would say a good time was had by all, especially on the one or two occasions when we actually won. Absolutely. The, uh, the first prize is a $50 gift certificate over at DeVere's Irish Pub. And that takes a good chunk out of the bar bill for a team that's having so much fun that they can stick around for a full two hours and 15 minutes of uh, the pub quiz from 7 to 9 or so on Monday nights over at De Beers. All right. 
you know, I, I just I just popped it open as we're talking, and I, I just I, I I immediately focused in on a question. I think I was there when you did when you did this, and the question was: If you're running a race and you pass the person in second place, what place would you be in? And and how many people fall for the little hook in that? You know, a few do, but it's it's a team sport, and you've got a lot of time to fill in your scorecard. It's not like you're throwing your hand up in the air or hitting a buzzer. So I encourage a different sort of thinking than what you see on, say, these televised quiz shows. And therefore, some of them are supposed to be uh, brain teasers. Some of them are supposed to be difficult. And then some are just to help everyone score in double digits, which is one of my goals at the pub quiz. We don't want people to feel left out. That's why I sometimes will include... I'll always include questions about sports, you know, sportwear, uh, animated films, because I like everyone to be able to at least score in, in double digits, while others can reach for the, the post-20 scores that usually mean a prize. And for all the five people on a given team that answered first place to that last question, there must have been some, uh, <laughs> some recriminations afterwards. Right. Often you see where a team of six comes back as a team of five, and you know just why. <laughs> Someone's invitation got lost in the ether. Well, you're up to six, six, six person teams now. Yeah. Oh, all it's, right. It's uh, teams of, of up to six, and, and people, they uh, recruit people of different ages. People who read books recruit people who watch television. So that you have like a range of experiences to call upon. Right. This this should be encouraged because some people's strengths and weaknesses they just well I mean if things like popular culture as I'm thumbing through your book I realize that that's just not going to be where I'm going to be successful. <laughs> exactly. People who who read and think deeply sometimes have a disadvantage with the TV question, <laughs> and so you need to like turn to your friend and say here. You've yes. wasted a good amount of your life. Maybe yes. you should answer this one. Yeah, who was the wacky neighbor on uh, on on Full House or some, some, some such thing? Right. Did I actually ask that question? No, you did not. I don't know. Okay, there is a wacky you. uncle on the TV show Full House, but I, you know, I don't know. There's always a wacky somebody in a sitcom. You must have to comb through an awful lot of material to to come up with these. I do, but you know, a lot of it is just paying attention over the course of uh, a week. For instance, uh, yesterday, my son Truman was uh, watching one of the Shrek movies. And I passed through this, uh, the living room where he was watching it, and I said, which Shrek movie is that? And he said, Shrek the Third. I said, oh, Shrek the Third, let me look that up. And so I found out on Box Office Mojo <laughs> that Shrek the Third is the second highest grossing movie ever that contains dragons, but which is not about dragons. <laughs> well, there you go. There's an automatic category. So uh, the question I asked on the most recent pub quiz is, uh, 2007 films is your category. What is the second highest grossing film that features dragons, but which is not about dragons? And your hint is there's an H in each of the three words in its three-word title. Aha. Uh Aha. -huh. Uh -huh. So some people said 
Rush Hour 3, <laughs> because evidently there's a dragon lady who's the villain in that film. But the three is the number three, A, and B, that was not the second highest grossing dragon okay. film Okay, all right, all, all right. I imagine you have to adjudicate disputes on occasion about uh, people who contend that their answer really, it really, it's a better answer, perhaps? That's where... Uh, Rule number four comes in, and rule number five. These are my favorite rules. Rule number four is that the answers provided by your quiz master are painstakingly researched and will be considered to be correct without regard to their actual veracity. <laughs> and then rule number five is no arguing with the quiz master. Mm. And so the, the part that the uh, players look forward to is the part that I get to veto immediately. I just say... <laughs> Oh, interesting. Rule number five. Bye-bye. <laughs> and it makes it much more pleasant for me. I would imagine. I need such a rule in real life, as I guess many of us and many of us do. You have to come up with anagrams, too. Every, every quiz has, has one of those. Absolutely. Uh, for instance, on the most recent quiz, the anagram was for Joe Biden's most recent book. Uh, it would be great if he came out with a book of admired poems, but it turns out that the three-word title of his most recent book is an anagram of the phrase admired poem. A lot of people wrestled with that one. Wow. The answer is, promise me, Dad, about Bo Biden. Wow. Promise me, Dad. A lot of people struggled with that. That's always question 15 that uh, people get to wordsmith and work on during the uh, extended break while I walk around, rest <laughs> my lungs, and answer people's clarifying questions. Uh, whenever I participate in your quizzes, I usually leave the anagrams up to the English majors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And speaking of English majors, you are a professor at the English department, and, there, and therefore, possibly because you're also at De Vere's, uh, you work in a Shakespearean question in every single quiz. Absolutely. Even though... Uh, the De Veres believe that their ancestor, Edmund De Vere, was Shakespeare. I nevertheless ask a Shakespeare question about William Shakespeare. It's always question 30 about everybody's favorite bard. I'm of the opinion that Shakespeare is still an important part of what it means to be an informed, literate citizen, and therefore I offer both a carrot and a stick in the form of question 30 at the pub quiz every week to encourage a little bit more reading and a little bit more theater-going amongst the uh, players is one of uh, the rewards that they get to enjoy twice, once in the theater, and again, if they answer question 30 correctly. Well, we, we applaud your efforts to promote the, uh, the immortal uh, William Shakespeare, but we, we do note that Radio Parallax has taken the official position that De Vere really was the actual author. Interesting. Well, that's good. We should, uh, we should have you back on my radio show, and you can spend some time uh, defending that. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. That would be so much fun. That's good. And, and meanwhile, while you do that, I will uh, play some Renaissance music <laughs> and turn the volume up about uh, 10% <laughs> for every minute of your rant until soon. All the people can hear is the delightful <laughs> mandolin. That'll well, be the form of debate that I'll take. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to look into this further. Tiebreakers, you do have to have one because, you know, if it's 16 to 16, what do you do? And I guess you have to look for something that is not uh, 
That's a numerical answer that someone can get close, relatively close to it. For instance, uh, we're chatting in February. This is Black History Month, and my most recent pub quiz asked the question, how many black-owned businesses were there in the United States in 2015? Not exactly the sort of thing that people would <laughs> keep at top of mind, uh-huh. even if they were... Uh, professors of African-American culture or professors of the UC Davis uh, Graduate School of Management? Yeah. Uh, The answer is 2.3 million, which is a very large number. And uh, in the most recent pub quiz, there was a three-way tie for second place. And so that very question determined who got a nice $25 gift certificate and who got the swag prize, Hmm. which was a, a Toblerone candy bar and a uh, a slasher film on DVD oh, called The Hitcher. God. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants swag. You know, I'd be willing to bet that if, if the entire faculty of the food science department went down to DeVere's Pub, they would not know the answer to this tiebreaker, which was measured in grams, what was the U.S. per person consumption of fresh broccoli in 2010? Man, that's a trivia question. And it's, uh, it's an opportunity for people to get really excited about a question that turns out to be irrelevant for them. Because if they're getting excited about the tiebreaker, then they're not going to do well on the rest of the quiz. So everyone gets a chance to try. It's, it's like the lottery. Mm-hmm. Well, you have some events, I, I gather, where you, you take this on the road, and not just at DeVere's. And uh, are there some coming up? I do. I think it's largely not because of my skill as an MC, but because of my volume that I've been invited repeatedly to participate in different fundraisers here in the city of Davis in February and March. So, for instance, on February 10th, the Davis Arts Center is having a fundraiser to help pay for the kilns and the HVAC machines that were destroyed by vandals trying to strip them of copper. Oh, man. And then in March on uh, the 8th, there's a uh, fundraiser. I'm trying to raise $10,000 for children's cancer research. Mm-hmm. On the 9th, it's the Sunrise Rotary Club, which raises money for a whole bunch of uh, important causes, including uh, international causes. And then on March 10th, which is also my birthday, I'm giving up my birthday time to run a pub quiz and a auction, a live auction, over at Patwin Elementary's uh, yearly fundraiser. Wow. So I'm going to have to uh, somehow get enough sleep that week and talk to my friend Malcolm McKenzie, the opera singer, about how I can keep from thrashing my vocal cords. The auctioneering, I don't know if you've ever done this, Doug, where no. you, you talk really fast and then you point at people <laughs> and you just, you know, mumble excitedly and eventually you come up with a number and then you point at another person you go back and forth the way they do with uh, cattle down in texas i i mostly learned how to do this by watching youtube videos hosted (laughs) by actual auctioneers and uh and it exhausts me just to do one of those i would imagine to to do three in a row that this will be my new uh record we'll see if i survive it well, I encourage people to uh, to show up uh, with uh, one of your books at one of these so you can sign for them, which I'm sure you'd be happy to do. Absolutely. And I'll have uh, copies of Pub Quizzes, Trivia for Smart People, 
available at all of these events, and we'll be glad to uh, make them available to people who are interested. Well, in doing all these quizzes, uh, there must be some things that, that have amazed you and some things that are pretty funny. Um, let's start with what wowed you the most when you were researching all this trivia? What, what, what factoid really hit you between the eyes? Well, uh, one thing that always hits me is that people don't know uh, the capital of Australia. It's a pretty, uh, pretty big country. Yeah. But I'd say that what, um, what impresses me even more is not so much the facts that I encountered during my research. And, you know, one helpful way to research a topic that you would never think of is just to ask Wikipedia to jump to a random page. Okay. And then you say, what's this about? Okay. And then before you know it, you've got a uh, unexpected topic for a question. Okay. Especially if you don't mind asking about cricket. <laughs> but I found that uh, getting into conversations with people who come to the pub quiz uh, about what they want to be asked about uh-huh. is one of my favorite uh, research practices because there are 30 questions, and even if I choose something directly from someone's doctoral research, right. they'll get that question right, but getting a one-point advantage is probably not going to yeah. make a difference right. to anyone uh, working on a PhD because she doesn't know enough about the variety of other topics that uh, people in the real world are being exposed to rather than being in the lab or the library. Right, right. So I always, uh, whenever someone says, why don't you ever ask a question, say, about opera, or <laughs> I got one tonight, why not NCAA basketball? Why is it always football and baseball? Mm-hmm. I'll just add NCAA next week, but because, you know, what do I care? Yeah. Why not be responsive? It's not going to make them win the quiz. So I'd say that's the most surprising. And then uh, the most fun usually just the ridiculous answers that people offer when they have no idea. <laughs> Sometimes they're filled with uh, sexual innuendo, uh-huh. and they're hoping I'll just read something embarrassing. <laughs> well, for instance, I once asked a pretty straightforward science question that I know you and your listeners would get immediately. What N-word refers to the scientific study of the nervous system? And uh, uh-huh. as you would immediately know, the correct answer is neurology but uh-huh. uh, or neuroscience uh-huh. and uh, one uh, particular team guessed n- nervology because of the <laughs> nervous system geniuses those and so I'll read the incorrect answers and then a lot of times it's the uh, the loudest team that offer a cheer that I'm I'm mocking them publicly and that's fine I I like people to have fun and to toast their own folly once in a while. Well, yeah. Why not? All right. Well, I suppose we have to go out with one one final question from your book, and I, I, there's one I can't resist, which is your, a science question from, let's see, this is from your That Guy's Job chapter. And the question was, which of the following is closest to the age of the Earth? 500 million years, 2.5 billion years, 4.5 billion years, or, and I never get tired of this answer, 6,000 years. (laughs) Some people substitute opinions for evidence. More power to them. We appreciate the way you have have woven humor throughout the text. 
Well, thank you, Doug. And I know that's something that you do uh, with the way that you cover science, geology, space travel, and many other topics. So I'm, I'm glad to uh, be adding my part to the global conversation of uh, humor yes. and science. Dr. Andy, always a pleasure. The book is Pub Quizzes, Trivia for Smart People. Thank you, Doug. Always a pleasure to chat with you. I look forward to seeing you in a pub sometime soon. Let's hope. All right, my friend. Bye-bye. Let us end our talk of quizzes, pub and otherwise, But as we go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some, well, I guess you'd say deep political issues with our good friend Jim DiEugenio. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax.